Jesus calls us to keep our lamps full of oil and keep our faith in Him active. Last week, Pastor Todd called uh, us to repent of the spirit of foreboding and to place great expectation in the Lord. The spirit of foreboding has dogged the people of God and left them with a sense of impending uh, evil and misfortune, always thinking something bad is on the horizon, something bad's going to happen. And the Lord wants us to get rid of that and put all of our expectation in Him. A very uh, deeply troubled uh, man came to Jesus in Mark uh, 9, 14 through 29, and his son had a, a demon, a mute spirit, and it sought to destroy him, throw him in the fire and throw him in the water. It wore the father out. He brought the boy to Jesus, and the, the kid manifested and rolled on the ground in front of Jesus and foamed at the mouth. I'm just abbreviating the story. And the father said, uh, but if you could, he says, if you could do anything, a guy's coming to Jesus. He says, if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, just get a hold of that. This guy is completely worn out with a trial in his personal life. And he goes, if you can, he's worn down. If you can, if you can, all things are possible. He says, if you can, all things are possible to those who believe. Jesus pitches it back. Guess what the guy says? I believe, help my unbelief. Let's go ahead and start with that today. If you're in the midst of something and you need help and you're not sure if you can trust because you've worn yourself out trying to get it done, let's go ahead and say to the Lord today, help my unbelief. Let's go ahead and ask the Lord to eradicate, to tear down any spirit of unbelief that would be operating in your life, in my life. You know, Jesus rebuked that, that dumb, that mute spirit out of that kid. And he fell down like he was dead. And then Jesus lifted him up. And uh, he was fine after that. I'm not anticipating that the Lord will do that to you. But if you're bound in a way that uh, how many of you have had some pretty tight bondage hold you back from believing in the Lord, and uh, the way the Lord's been doing it around here is He just whittles away at a little at a time, a little at a time. Every now and again, there comes a big step forward, and people get a breakthrough, and they step way forward. But He just works on us because the refining process in the believer's life is, is as we go. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and, and work, it, work it that way. Uh, for Jesus, uh, excuse me, the a spirit of foreboding often partners with a spirit of unbelief. So these kind of two, two things are kind of partnering up. Jesus uh, challenged us with a question in his teaching. How many of you remember the persistent widow? And uh, his question, he, at the end he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is what he's talking about. Jesus actually is looking for people who are very aggressively believing in him, with an active faith in him. 
That's what he's looking for. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be believed. John 18, uh, 1 through 8 in the Missions Bible, Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. He said, there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks and even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. The master says, this Jesus says, do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, what he's saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out to him for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find, when, find on earth when he returns? Apparently, this is really important to the Lord that we're not like wishy-washy, we're not unbelieving, we're not lukewarm, we're not uh, trusting in Him to do the miracle things that He wants to do in our life. Can we go ahead and just acknowledge, I want to be the believer that causes your kingdom to come. I want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. I don't want to be showing up in a situation doubting your goodness, doubting your capacity, doubting who you are. This is a massive deal to the Lord. Paul talks about it, and just want to highlight this, and we'll get into the Old Testament for a moment with a story there. He explains that uh, we, you and I, are grafted in to a nourishing uh, root of the olive tree that supports us, meaning that all the Scriptures that reveal Jesus we're added because we believe in Jesus. I'm not going to read the passage, but I just want to say there's uh, branches that are broken off, and the branches that are broken off were that the Jewish people didn't believe. And so they were removed because of unbelief. Everybody say unbelief. And if they did not continue in there, uh, he says if they did not continue in their unbelief, then they'll be grafted back in where they belong. And he says the same thing about you and me. Continue with believing and don't fall into unbelief. How many have been taking a beating sometime? You just get, get worn down a little bit. That happens. Well, I have a memory verse in our bulletin. It's First uh, John 5, 4. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Colossians 3, 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee, for he trusts in you. When you're not in peace, what are you thinking about? Now, I want to just take a moment. This is kind of a passage in 2 Kings 6, starting with 24 on through 2 Kings 7. I'm going to just share the story a little bit. It highlights unbelief a bit. How many of you here today would like the Lord to put the axe to the root of anything in you 
that would doubt His goodness operating fully in your life. So this is a warning kind of a passage. 2 Kings 6.24 says, sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Wow. A donkey is actually an unclean animal according to the Mosaic Law. The least appetizing and least nourishing part of the thing would be the head. So apparently whoever owned the donkey was eating the donkey and selling the head. They raised doves for sacrificial purposes. They'd probably eaten all those. So what's left over but going around scraping up excrement? Wow. Now how did this happen? This king, Ben-Hadad of Aram, also known as Syria, to his ears, his name meant Son of the Most High. However, to the Hebrews, the same name meant Son of Thunder because Ben means Son and Hadad means to make a loud noise. It is interesting to note that the one responsible for laying siege on God's people was in his own mind the Son of the Most High. But those under his oppression, he was the one with the loudest voice making the most noise above other voices. His agenda was to lay siege to Samaria where God's people were. Everybody say besiege. Besiege means to confine, to bind, to show hostility to, to treat as a foe, to shut up. This high-minded ruler with a loud voice puts the people of God under siege. I could actually say lockdown and make it more parallel to the spirit of the age. The result of his agenda, of course, was famine, shortages of food, scarcity of grain, oppression to God's people who are now hungry. His tactic of oppression is working. Being under siege brought about absolutely horrifying circumstances. The people are starving to death all because of the selfish agenda of an opposing ruler. That's mindset number one. That's him. Mindset number two is the king of Israel. We're not even given his name. I think it's too embarrassing to show who it is. In essence, he's blaming God for the problem. The person in charge in Samaria is blaming God. He feels personally powerless to do anything about the siege. It gets much worse. I don't want to talk about it. You can read it. Let's just say that two mothers made a deal concerning cannibalizing their small children. I'll just leave it there. Instead of crying out to the Lord for deliverance from his enemies, this king of Israel makes a vow. He says, may God strike me or even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day. The wicked king is blaming the man of God. 
How foolish in the light of God's faithfulness to his people. Let's contrast this guy to another king or two, okay? Just for a minute. The Bible reports that other kings of Israel and the kings of Judah cried out to God. You remember, you remember Jehoshaphat? Jehoshaphat, they surrounded with three nations that come to annihilate him, and Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast. This guy could have done that. He could have sought the Lord. He could have proclaimed a fast. He could have cried out to God. But instead, he blames the prophet of God and blames God. Jehoshaphat cries out. He actually says this. He says, Our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's Jehoshaphat. You know, the famous story, of course, what is they take the worship team and they start singing out in front. It says, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they begin to sing praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Zir who had come against Judah, so they were routed. This is just amazing. He could have. There was another king that came against him. as Hezekiah in Chronicles 32. He prayed with Isaiah when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, threatened to annihilate them. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army are with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us, the, the Lord our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And then it gets, look at this. It says, the Lord sent out an angel and the cut off the mighty warriors and the commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. This king could have called out, but no, he's blaming God. So there's all kinds of examples in the Old Testament. With Let me just say, he had a snoot full of unbelief. Instead of crying out to the Lord, he's got this, may, may Elijah, may Elisha be struck down. Now, this brings us to Elisha. Elisha's got a mindset. Everybody say this with me. What God says will happen, will happen, period. That's Elijah's, Elisha, excuse me, Elisha's attitude. Now, here's the other people. There's these elders with Elisha. Now, they would represent people who esteem the word of the Lord. There's a mindset there that they would believe the word of the Lord. They're suffering like everybody else. They got no food. They're in the house of the prophet. The doors are barred. And then here they come. It says, here's what's going on. Next thing you know, the king and his captain are coming. This mindset, is, their, their mindset is simply, I'll believe the word of the Lord no matter what I see right now. How many of you think that that's a better route to take? No matter what I see, I'm going to believe the word of the Lord. Now listen, you're seeing all kinds of stuff. It weighs in on you every day. This is settling something in your heart that I'm not going to be a person of unbelief. I'm going to be a person of faith, trusting in the Lord in the last days. I'm going to cast off unbelief. I'm not going to be a part of that. Let's go ahead and worship the Lord for just a moment. Say, thank you, Lord. Take apart anything in me that would be unbelieving in all that you're of your goodness Right now, and you know, maybe earlier when that cleansing was coming, let there come a cleansing to your mind, to all the cobwebs and all the things of the world that have clustered up against your mind that says the Lord will not come in, not, not show up for you. Let's get rid of that stuff. The Lord shows up for His people. That's what the Bible is all about. Praise you, Jesus. Man, I just want to worship now. Thank you, Jesus. I simply believe the Word of the Lord no matter what I see right now. 
I believe the word of the Lord. Now, this is dramatically contrasted with this captain who the king of Israel looks to for support. So, here's the word of the Lord comes, and this is basically what, uh, when Elijah prophesies, he's, they're coming, and the Lord speak, speaks to Elisha. They're coming, he says, shut the door. They're on the other side of the door. And Elisha says, listen to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. He's speaking through the door to the king and to the captain. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Sure beats a donkey's head and dove's dung, doesn't it? And then this officer, whom the king was assistant to the king, said, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And Elisha said, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. This captain, when he said those words, he doubted the messenger of God. He doubted the power of God. He doubted the creativity of God. Everybody say this. Unbelief is a decision to not believe the promise of God. It's a decision. It's a decision not to believe the Word of God. It's a, even a, first, it's, it's kind of a, it's a step further than merely, merely just wrestling with doubt. Doubt may, may struggle with how God's going to do something. But unbelief boldly declares God will not do it. He ain't going to come in and help. There's no way. And when you've been beat up and beat up and beat up, finally you've got to say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do something in me that doesn't partner with this spirit. This is a spirit of the age. Doubt God. Believe all the scenarios that are coming down the pike. All in all, this captain, illust he, this captain illustrates unbelief. He's, he, 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 here's what un unbelief says. This new thing cannot be true. This sudden thing, it cannot be true. This, there's no way to accomplish what he, this guy's saying. There's only one way God can work. It's the way that I think he can work. Even, even if God does something, it won't be enough. That's unbelief talking. How many of you had some of that kind of stuff come out of you? You're nodding your heads like this. Well, let's just ask the Lord to just deliver us from it. Say, Father, forgive me for anything inside of me that has made a decision not to completely trust you. Completely trust you in every place of my life. I repent of it. In Jesus' name, let your anointing Come and destroy the yoke of bondage. Destroy the spirit of unbelief. Remove it from me in the name of Jesus. Listen, listen, let's agree. Let's agree. Remove it. Remove it. So I put my faith in you, Lord. I put my faith in you. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now let's look at, let me just step, we're going to, we're doing really good on time. Everybody say, thank, thank God for that guy. You know, I could tell you a funny story, but I'm not going okay. 
I want to take a moment. Let's listen, this is, is this working for you? It's, the Lord kept putting my heart on this idea of, of unbelief. And I tried to get away from it. And then the Lord says, no, 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 this is what you're going to be doing. Because a foreboding spirit keeps giving you bad news. A spirit of unbelief says God's not going to do anything about it. Forgive us. Forgive us. Now let's look at the four lepers just for a moment. These are the little comical. These guys are crazy fun. They're sitting outside the city gate. They're starving to death. There's no food. They're sitting there talking amongst themselves. And they said, well, we're going to die here of starvation. We can't go in the gate. If we go in there, we'll starve because they're all starving of starvation. They're, they're all dying too. So why don't we do this? Why don't we go down to the Syrian, to, well, it's Syrian camp, our Aramanian camp. Go down to the camp and see if there's any food down there. So they go walking. I want to show you something. I can't do it. We'd have to turn it way up. But I heard a long time ago, because many people believe this, but see, when the, when the lepers are walking, they're kind of dragging their feet. I don't know if that, that you can hear that or not. But there are four of them. There are four of them. And God takes a microphone out of heaven, and he puts it down next to their feet. And it sounds like a mighty army with horses and chariots are coming. And all it is is four lepers stumbling along this road. But God says, we're going to have fun with this. And it literally puts fear in the camp of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians. And they all get up and run. And when the lepers show up to the camp, there's no one there. They're all gone. And they walk in there and they go, oh my gosh. They eat. Well, they're hungry, so they eat. They eat their fill. They go in there. And then they find silver and gold. And they, they go and then they hide it, you know. And there's like suddenly they realize all of the people back at Samaria are starving. What are we doing? They start to feel guilty. So they said, let's go back. It's nighttime. It's in the morning. It's really dark. They all going back. They come to the city gate. They call up there. Let me tell you what unbelief does. The king says, it's a trap. When you have a mindset that you don't think God can work for you, he's going to do everything's wrong. He says, it's a trap. When we go out there, they're going to come after us. They said, well, the people starving. They said, well, how about let us do a little, take a team and find out. So they took what four horses were remaining, what four horses hadn't been eaten yet. And they got on the horses and they went down to the camp and it was completely empty. So they went back and they told everybody. And everybody came pouring out of that, out of Samaria. And they all went down there and they all got all their food and everything. Now, I want to get to the rest of that just in a minute, but Charles Spurgeon said this. If you were to take out of the Scriptures all the stories that have to do with the poor and the afflicted men and women, what a very small book the Bible would become. 
especially if together with the stories you removed all the psalms of the sorrowful, all the promises for the distressed, and all the passages which belong to the children of grief. The book indeed, for the most part, is made up of the annals of the poor and despised. Let's praise the Lord for the Bible. If you have been poor, despised, and afflicted, then rejoice, because the Bible is your book of books. If you have been broke, busted, and disgusted, let your hallelujahs fill the air, because the Bible's written for you from page to page. Hallelujah. It makes the simple wise, it makes mature women and men and women of God out of listening children. You will learn the Lord will never forsake you. Hold the book close to your heart. Store its truth up in your spirit and cherish the love it brings. Let the Holy Spirit whisper to you out of those pages and worship the author and finisher of your faith. These little guys on the verge of starving, head on down. God does this supernatural miracle. And they arrive. And that captain... His job was to be at the gate. And the mob, all the people rejoicing, they come in back with food, and he sees it. You know what the Bible says? It says he was trampled down by that mob, and he died. Unbelief will kill you. His statement of, God couldn't make that happen if he opened the windows of heaven. And the prophet said, you'll see the food, but you won't eat it. Unbelief killed him off. Unbelief killed him off. Unbelief killed him off. He had determined that God couldn't do it. Anybody in the room here want to be like that guy? No, we want to be the people of God to cry out to God and see him deliver. Amen? The Bible is about this despair. This is how it works. Despair of oppression, the life-giving word of a God who comes to promises to save. Then you have those who doubt. Then you have those who believe and those who risk. Then God's supernatural provision uh, comes and the supply for His people. Then there's the joy of provision. And then there's the damage of unbelief. There are some people that receive from the Lord because they believe Him. And the others just go on their miserable way. Let's go ahead and again take a moment and say, Lord, I don't want to partner with anything that allows your provision to be stolen from me. How big is your God? Now, where's Jesus in this passage? I got one place I see. It's Elisha. Elisha's name means God of salvation. If I say that, God of salvation. And Jesus gives us promises. I want to close with this. I discovered there's two places in the Bible where Jesus marvels. Two places where Jesus marvels. One of them was when he was in Nazareth. 
And Mark 6, 3 through 6 says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. What Jesus had just done is stood up and he read Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me. And he went down the list and he says, This is happening right now in the hearing of your ears. And they went, Who the heck do you think you are? They were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin, in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid hands on a few sick folks and healed them. Are you ready? And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Do you want Jesus marveling at you for that? Here's the other thing he marveled at. Matthew 8, 8 through 10. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say, this one go, and he goes. To another one come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard it and marveled and said, to them that followed, verily I say to you, I have not found so great faith, not in all of Israel. He marveled over unbelief. Couldn't believe that they would just be stuck in the natural realm so deeply. Stuck by only what you see and never considering what you do not see. And the centurion comes along. He's not even Jewish, but he understands authority. And he has men that go when he says go and come when he says come. And they do what he says. And he says, you're a man under authority. All you have to say, come on, everybody, Jesus is under authority. And he speaks into your life and my life and things change. Let's go ahead and praise him for that. He speaks and he'll, and then he what? He marvels at the person who understands that. Let's stand together just for a moment here. Would you lift your heads to the Lord? I'm just asking that today there be the washing of of the water of the word. I believe that some of you have wrestled a long time with a certain trial. Not unlike the man whose son was having a difficult time. The trial may have very well been something personal that you have contended with and failed at. I perceive that there's a yoke of unbelief that the Lord is going to lift off of your shoulders now if you want Him to. The Lord has come 
to destroy long-term failure. Long-term failure in an area where you feel like you can't do it, you haven't been able to do it, and the Lord says, I'm going to do it. Would you lift your head to Him? Just lift your head to the Lord. This is not magic. This is real. Jesus is an authority over your life. Let's praise Him right now. Let's just go ahead and... He's an authority over your life. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Lord recently just has been removing things from people that have been in the way of the depth of what He wants to do in their souls. He's actively doing that these days. I've sensed the Lord wants to show you from His eyes what He wants you to see about the situation. Would you praise Him just a minute? See, some of these things, when there's a yoke of unbelief, it hurts. It's a struggle. It's weighty. It causes you to feel uncomfortable and like, can I really believe in God to take care of this? But the Lord is saying in the name, in his, let me just do this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in the name of the one who's risen up by the power of his blood, we rebuke the spirit of unbelief. We invite the anointing as we repented a little while ago. We now invite the anointing to destroy the yoke. Now, come Holy Spirit with your anointed power and break the yoke of unbelief now. In the name of Jesus, I release the anointing that destroys the yoke now in Jesus' name. Generationally, we break it. Some of you inherited it. In Jesus' name, we repent of the generations of unbelief and doors have been opened to it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to ask the Lord to begin to put a joy inside of your spirit that you begin to, to rise up with a joy inside of you because you believe in Jesus to do what you can't do. The Lord already said, remove the line. I'm going deeper than you ever imagined. I'm working in your life. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Those who are going to be praying, come on down. Praise you, Jesus. We're going to dismiss in a moment. There's business being done in the room. Part of the adversary's work is this, that he works in one area of your life, but you doubt he'll work in another area. He does something, but then the devil says, well, he did that, but he's not going to do anything else. That's a lie. That's a lie. He's going to do greater. How many of you witness what I'm saying? How many of you needed some help here today with what we're talking about? We're casting it off. We're trusting in the Lord to do in us 
and in our families what we haven't been able to do. Supernatural work. In Jesus' name. For those of you who want further agreeing prayer, come on down. And uh, we're going to dismiss now. There may be some of you who want to just come to the altar, be alone. We're just going to give the time for that. In Jesus' name. Love one another. You're dismissed.